G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Turnbuckle here on mypodcasthouse.com or whatever you're listening to us on, whether it be... Uh, is, yeah, well, we need to check out if Stitcher is still a thing, Welshie. How are I you? I think it is. It's gone. Spotify, you'll be hearing us at Spotify. That's our home ground. Mm, it is. How are you, buddy? That's very g'day, Tony. Very g'day. How are you? I'm excellent, thank you. Uh, Lyle not with us tonight, dealing with a few things, and we'll welcome him back next week, hopefully. I don't know if we'll welcome him back, but he'll be here. Yes, uh, he'll be here, I'm sure. How you been, bud? What's happening? I'm good, mate. I, I've been a bit crook, but um, so have you. Too. <laughs> That's why we're on Zoom. We just didn't want to be near each other in case one of us had COVID. Yeah, and apologies. Realistically, apologies. we probably both have it. Well, I've tested negative. I'm still yet to so test positive. I. Still yet to test positive to COVID. And I've got work meetings inside a prison on Friday, and I have to test negative to get in. It's harder to get into prison than it is to get out. You work for a road traffic management company. How the hell do you? What are you doing in prison? I'm trying to get some cheap road signs, Tony. Ah, oh, to okay. Get some cheap road signs. Clever. And I'm offering employment to ex-offenders. In order to get those cheap roads, yeah. well, fair enough too. Beautiful, well done. And uh, to give people a second chance because I believe in that. Yes, exactly. Everyone deserves a second chance. Uh, that's why we've got Tosh Everyone wants to read the redemption story. Yeah, correct. No one wants to provide the pathway, and that's what that's, we're going to join. That's do. why we've got Tosh Greenslade joining us a little bit later on. I am looking for chance. traffic controllers at the moment as well. So if anyone wants to be a traffic controller, is it true you get a hundred bucks an hour? It is not. But on major projects, it's not uncommon to be getting $50 or more an hour. And you get to work with, like, really nice women? Um, and nice men. And nice men. So we work with really nice people. Yes. But hit me up. Right. If you got your tickets, hit me up. Yeah. I'll, uh... Outsourcing my work. While I'm well, actually, podcast. Tosh Greenslade might be looking for a job in four weeks' time. Oh, that's not very nice, Tony. But... Oh. That's the sore point. Yeah, it is. But he keeps talking about it, so. It is. Look, um, go watch Mad as Hell. Yes. Last four weeks of Tosh. He'll be with Let's, us later. Off the numbers. Let's face it, right? When Lyle says that he can't do the show and I can upgrade to a D-grade celebrity like Tosh Greenslade. Every day of the week. What, yeah. what grade would Lyle be? Oh, is there I'm a letter? Even, I'm not even sure if he registers. Is there a letter after Z? No. At the MCG, they start going to double letters. So I yeah, guess he'd, he'd be double H. Quadruple Z. Yeah, okay. There you go. That's very back row. That's up with Jesus. Oh, it's behind Jesus. Yeah. Um, uh, good show last week. Did we do one last week? I think last week, we did do a show. We had Bobby Bishop. We did too. That's right. And I like Bobby. What was the feedback like out there in the world of wrestling? It was good. People loved it. People loved your imbecilic rantings in the second half of the show where your senility really kicked in, Tony. Yeah. I'll try to make sure that happens again then today. <laughs> it's not hard. Um, Bradley brought hard. to you by the Australian Wrestling Network, of course. We are. There you Man go, with the mullet. That's all you're getting. That's, that'll do. That's all he needs. Let's get into our guest. Well, Walsh, our first guest tonight is a ripper. He's been a 
But he's one of the legends of Australian wrestling. I think we can put him in that category. He wrestled for 23 years back through the mid-70s up until the early 2000s. His name, of course, is The Dazzler. And that relates to Ken Dunlop, who joins us for a chat now about his brand new book, Dazzler Dunlop. G'day, Ken. How are you? Good, mate. Yourself? Excellent. Thank you. Uh, fantastic that you've been able to put all your thoughts and memories down onto paper for a book that we could all share on. Yeah, it sort of, when I got together with other wrestling guys, we all sit around and tell stories and someone said many, many years ago, you should write a book. And it's always in the back of my head, but I was working full time and I had, a, you know, I was working long hours, 55 hours a week, plus I was doing other things as well. So I didn't have time. And five years ago, I retired from work. And I thought I'll sit down and write it. And I thought it was going to be easy, but it took me two years <laughs> to write it. It's a lot harder than people think. Yeah. But yeah, it's um, here and there, dazzled unlock inside my squared circle. So it's out through the um, Shoreline Publishing Group. And yeah, so I've put my heart and soul into that. So I've opened up on a lot of things that I I hid. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite proud of what I've done. And so you should be. Uh, firstly, congratulations on the book. It's a really good read and it's it's really digestible, which I think is important. It's accessible to people. Um, and I found I found it, I just wanted to keep reading and reading and reading. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, it's, it, it goes right back to the very start of your life in um, growing up in Maui in Victoria. Um, tell us a little bit about um, what it was like to grow up in country Victoria and then move into the city. Oh, it was great. Maui was fantastic. Like, it was a town, people, all the, the uh, 10, 10 pound palms basically came out from England and there was Dutch people there, all come out from the Second World War. So a lot of English and Dutch and German people, everyone there, all got chipped up there to work at the power station and the open cut at the time in, in your lawn. So the whole town was sort of based around around there. It was a beautiful place to grow up. Everyone knew everyone. You'd go down the street, you'd say hello to 10 different people on the, you know, down the way to the shops. There was a large Aboriginal population, which was fantastic. One of my best mates um, was, was Aboriginal from down there. I went to school with him. And it was just, yeah, it was a great place to live. And I got a hell of a shock when I moved to, I think I was 13, we moved down to Melbourne and I'd, we moved to Hawthorne at first. And the first day I walked down the street, I said hi to about eight people and they just looked at me <laughs> like a little weirdo, like, you know, what the hell is this kid? He must be, you know, something wrong with him. And no one said hi back. And I thought, oh, that's really strange, you know, it just, and it felt really weird, you know. So it was a big, big culture change. Yeah, it certainly have. I've always said nothing good ever came out of Maui, Ken, but maybe I need to reevaluate that. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's a it's a, a really interesting part of town, that whole Maui Morwell area. And I would have assumed not knowing it when I was younger, but uh, it would have been a fairly rough part of the world back in the uh, back in the days. I never found that. Um Probably, I, I had two older brothers and an older sister, so maybe they shielded me and protected me. Yeah. 
I didn't actually see that side of it because we, we left Maui when I was as a 13. So probably I was too young to sort of get into that sort of um, that area. One, my, one of my brothers still lives in Maui and um, my father lived there up until his death, what, six or seven years ago now. So, yeah. I'm glad you brought up your father. One of the things that I got very early in this book and the the love and support that your mum and dad gave you throughout your wrestling career and your, your personal life as well, there was such a bond between the three of you. Yeah, definitely. I was very lucky. Mum and I were so close. Um, dad went off when I was really young. Dad was never a, a person to hug you or... He was always there, but it was when he went to bed at night, it was just that real tough old man handshake, good night, son, go to bed, and that sort of stuff. And if, if he did something wrong, he'd get, again, a kick up the arse or smack around the back of the head. Hmm. It wasn't until my mother passed away that Dad and I got really close. Hmm. And I sort of basically took over his life <laughs> for the last probably 10 years of his life. But we had, we had a, a, again, a really lucky special bond. So I'm so grateful to both of them for having that wonderful relationship. One, one thing I definitely got from the book early and then later on was just how much of a work ethic your dad had and, um, and what you seem to have picked up from him um, because he worked, I think, four jobs. I think at one stage you were working four or five jobs. It's like um, it's a real... It's a real good um, image for people of um, a role modelling. Yeah, he, he sort of had to in those days because mum didn't work, obviously, because uh, having all those kids, they had the four kids until my younger brother came along. The surprise baby. Yeah. So he had to, as in like every January, he'd go hay carting um, for a month and the money he got from hay carting would pay all our school fees for the year. So, and that was tough on mum too, because she had to, you know, look after the kids for, for basically a month while he was away. So he had a very strong, you know, work ethic and um, all of us had it. My sister had it. My two older brothers had it. Alan's got it, my younger brother, uh, who you know was Ricky, Red Hot Ricky Diamond in Victoria. We do. But yeah, we've all had, um, like I was working 55 hours a week at the shop. I was doing bar work. I was doing security work. Um, yeah, I've done all sorts of things. Just a, I even worked as a kitchen hand to help a friend out for a few weeks, and that was that was bloody harder than anything else. It was terrible. Yeah, it's bloody hard work. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I, that's just the way I was taught. I, I thought I'd never thought anything different. I've always been that way. And the the love of wrestling came from a very early age. The whole family seemed to be right behind it, and got to the. World Championship Wrestling shows when they came to the Latrobe Valley. I do love the story you talk about when the family used to regularly drive down to Melbourne to Festival Hall to watch uh, World Championship Wrestling. Can you impart the story about the uh, main event of King Curtis and Mark Lewin that uh, you watched? Yeah. We, we went down and of course they ended up in the crowd and they ended up going out into the street into Dudley Street and because there was about, I think, 8,000 people there, so everyone's rushed, and I got separated from, from mum and dad, but Curtis and Lewin threw each other into parked cars, and there was a, a bus coming up the street. One of them got thrown into the bus, and, I mean, it was incredible. And I was, 
Sounds spend, like the first death match. Yeah, I was um, all in my eyes out because I couldn't find mum and dad, but I was hooked. I, I thought, oh, wow, this is sensational. This is what I want to do. <laughs> I loved it. Um, and going from, like, being the wrestling fan and then breaking into the business, like, um, how did you go about breaking in? Well, going to first Festival Hall every Saturday as a kid, like, from the age of 13, you get to meet some of the local wrestlers, and I became good friends with John Snyder and Sam Rossi. And they used to always get there like an hour earlier and they'd always sit out the front and talk to us. And we got to know uh, John's wife, Claire, and I'm still great, great friends. They're, they're part of my family and they always will be. And so then we got to sort of just talking. Then when I turned 16, um, John just said to me, would you be interested in learning? And without even talking to mum and dad, I just went, yep. And I was, I, yeah, I was over the moon. It was, it was so exciting. Was it hard for you, Ken, being, I think you're only, what, five foot seven or something tall. Most of these blokes were over six foot. They were giants. Was it tough for you to, to step into the ring against the bigger blokes? Oh, yeah. Well, I had to wrestle John Snyder once. Look, I was, um, I think I was about 12 stone at the time because I was only like 17. And he was 23 stone. Oh, <laughs> um, so there's not much you can do. And but we we pulled off a, a good match. He looked after me. He made me look good. Um, so it, it is, yeah, you got to learn to adjust to everyone. And you learn that with time. You can't do it at the beginning, but you, you go, over the years, you learn how to how to work with different people and and that's that's all again from the good training. You have to learn your basics, and that's where you find today's guys don't have all those basic skills. So you always got to start with your basics. Um, and you were lucky enough that when you started training, you're training under multiple trainers and getting to learn different styles. How important do you reckon it is for young wrestlers who might be listening to be seeking out different people and getting different ideas of what wrestling can be? Yeah, I think it's important. Um, like I had, again, there was John Snyder, Sam Rossi, Casey Miller, um, Fred Berger and Jimmy DeMira. So all different. Fred was different from everybody else. Fred was more European style, which I, I really like that style. So it's good to get his input. Um, Casey was more rough rough and ready. Like he'd be the one who'd give you the boot up the backside and smack around the head and he'd yell and scream at you. Jimmy and Sam, absolutely gentlemen um they'd teach you the all the holes and the counter holes and and that was yeah just to learn all those different styles and then for a little while i went to the gym with mario milano and george Gurliovis. and that was just 100 different again and that was more like especially with george Gurliovis, more your amateur style and and with him you'd have to sit there and bridge for nearly an hour and just work from a bridge and it was so, but even though I, I don't think I learned a lot from them, it all come back in my head. Like, and I, you do learn bits and pieces from everybody. And so I think it's very important to train with about three different styles of people. It really helps you open your mind. And what were they able to instill in you that serves you not just in wrestling, but in life? Uh, what did you learn in wrestling? 
in those early days, yeah, that you were able to take with you? You're never going to be 100% perfect all the time. You're going to have your bad matches and your good matches. If you stuff up, just forget it straight away and get on with it. Don't don't dwell. That, that's one, one big thing. And if you, again, just be honest, accept um, criticism and, yeah, just I think it's just more be honest with yourself and be honest with other people. And that's one thing I had issues with over the years in, in my career. I was always outspoken and honest. I never sort of hid from what I felt and I might have overstepped the mark a few times here and there. So some of the older guys didn't like me for that reason. Um, I always respected, I was always taught to show respect. And if the older guys take your side and give you criticism, always thank them, even if you didn't agree with them. And if you take on board what they say, um, then if, once they go away, if you don't want to know about it, just forget about it. But just that they actually think you're worth it by talking to you about something. So always show respect. I uh, read with interest that Thursday nights of training used to be known as bump nights. I'm sure they were the nights that you really looked forward to, being thrown <laughs> around the ring like a rag doll for an hour. Oh, that was just, yeah. They'd be like, yeah, just incredible. The very first night I had to get on the top rope and do a, a full just break fall. And I landed so heavy on my gut and I winded myself. Oh. And they yelled at me, screamed at me, give me kick up the ass, smack around the back of the head and get out there and do it again. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. But as you can't do that these days, but yeah, that's how. I made sure the second one was a lot better than the first one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the golden years of wrestling, I think they get referred to that a fair bit by most of the, the older guys and the people who watched it. And Melbourne was very much the centre of wrestling in Australia, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Melbourne's always been the home to me of wrestling. But I, I did have to leave Melbourne when I when I turned um, nineteen. I think it was I moved to Sydney because Sydney had a great club scene. Yeah. And in, in Melbourne, I was sort of probably doing three to four shows a month. And when you come to Sydney, like there's there was fifteen to twenty shows a month. So I had to take the chance. And I originally thought I'd last up here six months and then go home because I was a very much family orientated person. And I only knew two people up here, my grandparents. I didn't know anybody else. And um, and I was really lonely. I was homesick. And I was also at the time going through all the, the sexuality issues in my life as well. And it was pretty, pretty hard going, but I stuck with it and the rest is history. It's a brave move for a 19-year-old kid who knows no one in a city to just um, up and uproot and leave and and try something new. Do you think being young helped you make such a, a brave choice? Yeah, I, I didn't have a I didn't have any fears of doing it. Like 
I was unhappy with my job down there at the time. And I'd actually come up to Sydney about three months earlier and done, done a show for Steve Rackman. And um, he said to me, if you ever want to come back, have you to leave, I'll, I'll give you as much work as I possibly can. And that sort of stuck in the back of my head. And, and when I was sort of just sitting there, I think I, I wasn't happy with my job. So I quit and I just rang up my grandparents and said, look, if I come up to Sydney for a while, can I stay with you? And they said, yes. So I just said to mum and dad, I'm moving to Sydney. And <laughs> within two weeks, I'd pack my bags and I'd go on. So yeah, it was just a quick thing and I've never regretted it. And no, wrestling is one of those things. It's an industry of fast friends, so it's a good way to meet people. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was going to say, how was that for your mum that when she heard that you were packing up and leaving home? That, that would have been tough for her? Yeah, yeah it was. Um, it was quite emotional. And, but I, I used to ring home twice a week and uh, we'd chat for an hour twice a week and I'd go down fairly often. And in those days... When there wasn't a show on the weekend, um, I'd just jump in the car after work Friday night, drive down to Melbourne and drive back Sunday night and go straight to work on Monday. So probably the first two years, I reckon I drove down to Melbourne and back at least 20 times. And then they, they used to come up to Sydney every May for, for three weeks holiday. So um, we spoke all the time and saw each other fairly often. So, yeah. Yeah. Um... And the Sydney wrestling scene um, at the time, and you had some of the best wrestlers Australia's ever produced um, up there promoting. Yeah, well, Steve Rackman was the, the biggest promoter. And the first six months, I only worked for, for Steve because I didn't actually realise at the time that I could work for the other guys. And Mario Milano came up for some shows fairly often and, he sat down and said, why aren't you working for Larry and Ron and, and Roy Heffman? I said, oh, I've got to stay loyal to Steve because he's given me my break. He said, no, you can work for all of them. And he gave me all their phone numbers. So I rang them all the next day and boom, they started booking me. So, but I always gave Steve that first priority if there was two shows, because quite often on a Friday night, we'd have two shows. And on a Sunday, there might be three shows. So I'd always give Steve first priority but the good thing up here which is which unfortunately never happened in melbourne all the promoters work together if larry and ron roy and steve all had a show on the same day they'd ring each other up and say who are we going to use and if steve would book me and roy wanted to use me like they'd work out for roy's show i can go on the first match and for steve's show i can go on the last match and yeah. so you can work there. That was fantastic how they did that. They, they, never, they didn't mind you working for other people. The wrestlers today would be salivating at the thought of working yeah. that often. Yeah. Oh, Friday, well, Friday nights was, yeah, I used to love Friday nights. We'd nearly always be two shows. So you just do your first match somewhere, jump your tracky tracky on, jump in the car, drive to the next pub, and, you know, it was fantastic. And, and one there was one Sunday we did four shows in the one day. Jeez. Jeez. Incredible. How long are these and matches, was, Ken? Sorry? How long are these matches? 20 minutes. 20 just we never did five or ten minutes matches like the guys today. It was always 20 to 30 minutes. Every match it was always yeah. 20 to 30 minutes. 
But yeah, yeah. so you just you get used to it. And when I did the that day, we did the four, the last um, show I did. I didn't actually know who I was wrestling until I got in the ring. <laughs> so, A genuine surprise opponent. Yeah, because I got I got to the club. The first match was on. I was on second match, um, and they had to keep going till I turned up. <laughs> and they suddenly walk in the back of the back of the, uh, the the dressing room or the hall room, and they straight away went to their finish. So I got in to the dressing room and I went to sit down. And my music started playing. Oh lord! I still had tracky takes on, so I had to get get off. And I had to set the game in the ring, and I was thinking, who the hell am I working with? So the referee had to tell me all this all the information. So yeah, and we had a great match. So it was good. Definitely would have called it in the ring then. Yes. Is that how you like to work to um, to feel the crowd and um, and sort of work out what you're going to do based on how people are reacting? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm not one for planning fifty spots. That like when I used to work with George Barnes, he used to drive me crazy because he would plan. If you're doing a two out of two, you know, two out of three, four match. There'd be 10 spots leading to the first fall, 12 spots to the second fall. And I'd sit there and I'd get so confused. I think, oh shit, which one's this? And, <laughs> and then you get the shits and it'd, it'd smash in the face because you're stuffed up, you know. So um, yeah, I'm not a big plan of I'd always plan a, a fast beginning, the finish, and one or two high spots each. Everything else basically called. Ken, can we let's talk about your uh, your friendship with Mario Milano, of course, one of the biggest names in Australian wrestling and uh, a Melbourne icon. There's no doubt about that. That friendship went from the very early days of your career right through until when Mario passed. Yeah, he, he was such a lovely man. Um, he helped me a lot in Melbourne as well when I first started off, and then when I moved to Sydney, as I said, he, he gave me all the contacts. And whenever he came to Sydney, we'd always get together and have have a coffee or a, a drink. He, he loved his whiskey, of course. Um, I was never a big drinker, but we'd sit there and always have a good half-hour chat. Yeah, he, he was just an absolute gentleman. I, I loved him and respected him immensely. And he looked after your parents as well while you were up in Sydney to an extent? Yeah, like he had the picture shop. Mum um, and dad would sort of go there occasionally and he'd always remember them and he'd call them he'd call my Mrs. Ken that's how he used to yeah. call her and he never once took any any money for um for the food he, he treated them really well you got the opportunity to work with some of ridiculous names in your career um and I read with interest when you toured with Andre the Giant. Um, what was it like to be able to spend time with someone who quite literally and figuratively was larger than life? It was fantastic. He, I mean, he was such a friendly guy, a nice guy. Um, he'd always go up and shake everyone's hand in the dressing room, always say hello, sit down, we'd talk, and then everyone, because he was such a, an amazing uh, figure of a person everyone would just sit around and listen to every everything he'd say and he'd, he'd tell stories and he'd tell jokes and 
there's one night there he was telling a joke, and because half of us couldn't understand what he was saying because of his accent was so strong. <laughs> but at the end, he sort of banged his hand on the table, like, oh, 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 oh. so because everyone just started laughing, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was just, just amazing, yeah. And we did that bus trip to, to Newcastle um, with him, which was fantastic. So, um, two and a half hours in a bus sitting there listening to him. There was him, Don Morocco, and Kerry Brown from Canada. And, just some of the stories were just incredible. When you heard the stories from these guys who had travelled internationally, was there a, a real big desire for you to do the same? Not really. I, I sort of, I never wanted to go to America because um, just things from Roy Heffernan told me, because, I mean, Roy Heffernan was, a, a, again, a massive part of my life. Mm. But I... After six months being in Sydney, I started training with Roy, and he was basically saying there's no money. And he said you'd have to drive. Like you might do, say you're working for one promoter, you might work um, five or six days. Four of those days you might earn 20 bucks. And you've got to drive 300 miles, pay your own petrol, pay your own hotel, and drive back the next day somewhere else and you get another 20 bucks and you might get one big show a week the Saturday night show might be somewhere you might get 150 or 200 bucks yeah so I sort of I sort of never was interested in going to America like Canada I always wanted to go to and we had um a deal with Stu Hart at one stage to go to Canada um and I was actually gutted and heartbroken when that fell through at the last minute so um I think if I went then, I would never have come back. I would have stayed there. Hmm. Um, I mean, you did travel overseas and wrestle, though, you, uh, in the UK. Am I right? Yeah, that was that was a good experience. Um, I was a little bit disappointed in a lot of the workers over there. Um, and in 1992, um, when we made the arrangements to go over there, like, it was five days a week. We'd have the weekends off. And I said to Wayne, oh, we'll go into London. We'll have a look around. And the very first show, um, can't think, Max is, Max's name, Max Martin, I think it was, part of the Dale Martin promotions. He was the booker. He gave me a, our schedule for the week. And it was seven days straight. And there was two days there. There was two shows. And I just said to him, I said, oh, I thought we were just doing the, you know, five days. He said, if you don't like it, fuck off. <laughs> so, so I thought, oh, okay. And I said, it's not a problem, not a problem. And it was pretty much seven days a week all the time. And they get offered us a car and I didn't want to drive because, I mean, I'm the worst person in the world for directions. I've got no idea left, right. Uh, north, south, <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeless. And um, and Wayne doesn't like driving, so they actually gave us a, a, a driver who would pick us up at the house they organised for us. So um, they'd drive us to a meeting spot and, and all the guys would meet this particular park and park the cars there and they'd go off on these day trips in little minibuses. And, yeah, a lot, a lot of the young guys... Um, didn't know a lot. They were very inexperienced. There were, there were some guys who obviously 
more, but I, yeah, I was quite disappointed in some of them. And they worked really loose, and I was quite stiff, and so was, especially Wayne. Wayne was stiff as well. And they work on the other side of the body to what we are in America. We work one side, they work the opposite side. And they still did the rounds, which oh, was so no. frustrating. You know, I couldn't I couldn't get my head around why they're doing that. And they drive like 300 miles that way, come home, and then the next day drive similar the same way, say 200 miles, but slightly off to the side, and you think, why don't you just stay in a hotel? No. But because no way, it was just that's how they did it, and and they were used to it. So um, yeah, it was it was it was fantastic. I mean, it was a good experience. Um, I, I loved it, and especially when I wrestled Danny Boy Collins in Scotland. We actually left. We were based in uh, Round Hay Leeds. We left at seven a.m. that morning, and we didn't get to Scotland until six p.m. that night. So it's a long day in a minibus, no breaks for lunch, no nothing, just drive all that way. Danny Boy didn't actually join us in the bus and um, and him and I were doing the main event. And I didn't meet until about 10 minutes before the match. And again, I described in the book, it's the best match of my career. We just, yeah. Yeah, just clicked, he just walked in the dressing room, um, said, which one of you was? He's a, you know, he's Dunlop and he just said, give me one spot. And I gave him my spot and he gave me his spot. And he said, I work stiff. I said, good, so do I. And bang, it just like friend ginger dancing was fantastic. One one thing that I loved in reading in the book, and I'm surprised WWE have never done anything like this, is the wrestling cruise ship. Well, Chris Jericho does it now. But, there you go. Um, he does too. Was, You're right. Sorry. This was actually my next question. You were ahead of your time, Ken, in many ways. But as Tony said, the wrestling cruise ship. That was yeah. That was fantastic. This is again a three-day cruise, and um, we did just two shows a day. It was really hard because it was on the right on the back of the boat, and of course, being in the sea, like the, the boat would dip, so you'd be running with the ropes to do a crisscross. And all of a sudden, you'd be in the corner, you know. <laughs> and it's hard to work. It's hard to walk straight on a cruise ship, let alone wrestle. Yeah. Well, there's the first night we left uh, on the Friday night. Lofty, myself, and Lou Marcello all got seasick. It was pretty rough <laughs> yeah. that first night. And in the morning, we I went up to Rackman and I said, "Look, I don't think we can work. We're all sick because we're supposed to work at eleven o'clock in the morning." And straight to the doctors, and we got the all seasickness needle in the backside, <laughs> and then we were in the ring at uh, eleven o'clock. So <laughs> that was yeah, it was good, a very good experience, very fun. I don't, I don't I don't know why it never happened again. Ken, what was the feeling like between wrestlers? There were a lot of opportunities for promoters to bring out big time wrestlers from the states, and they paid a fair bit of money for that. What was the feeling like in the locker room at that time when those big names? We're coming out from Australia, uh, from America to Australia. I think the guys liked it and they were excited by it. Um, Larry and Ron seemed to be the ones who bring them out. Like they only had one club in Sydney, South Sydney Juniors, which was every fortnight. But when they brought out like Andre and Killer Car and those sort of guys, and they'd, they'd get all the bigger clubs as well, like St George Lease clubs and all the big entertainment clubs, and then they'd sort of do 
a week's tour with them. So I, I don't think the guys minded him. I think some of the locals hated just being a job boy for the mm. for the Yanks. Um, that's some of the bigger guys, but I, I, I actually never got to work with the Yanks. I always worked with Medlin or someone like that on the shows. Um, talk to us. You've mentioned him a couple of times, but someone who basically you're always associated with and he's your tag team partner, Wayne Pickford. Talk to us about that relationship inside and outside the ring. We're like brothers, very close. Um, we, we both had that same passion, the same drive, the respect, the love for the wrestling business. We got put together pretty much straight away because we were the sort of the, the newest two guys to come into the business at around the same sort of time. And um, Roy Heffernan took us under his wing and, yeah, we just, we just bonded and we basically on the phone to each other like, five days a week and we'd see each other three or four times a week. So uh, it, was, it was great. And what, one thing we did love um, every Saturday morning at the time, we would go training at a police force club with, with Roy and we'd go back to Roy's house and his wife, Joyce, would cook us up lunch and then we'd just sit there all afternoon and drink beer. And, and again, I was never a big drinker either as Wayne actually. And, um, but we'd be sitting there in awe of, of Roy and Roy would just be telling us these incredible, amazing stories. Um, and we'd leave there pissed as, and we'd, we'd get in the car and drive home, which is so stupid. And one time I actually woke up at Wayne's house way out at Mount Druitt, a long way from home. And um, I didn't know where I was. I was on the couch and his mum came out and I'm thinking, Who's this? And she said, Your breakfast is ready, Ken. And I was like, okay. I was like, where the hell am I? You know? <laughs> so yeah, it was uh those were sensational days. And Wayne, you couldn't ever ask for anyone more solid, more strong, more committed to back you up. He was always there. And we sort of we don't we've lost the sort of touch a little bit these days, but um every now and then, just again through Facebook, we sort of speak and catch up and yeah, I love him like a brother. People still refer to you as probably Australia's greatest ever tag team. So, um, that. Um, there, there wasn't a lot of teams that, like Larry and Ron, of course, were a big team. And before our time, the fabulous kangaroos, of course. Yeah. We have an Al Costello, but. Yeah, a lot of teams didn't sort of stay together for that long. And we would we got teamed up in 1981. And I think we did our last tag team in 1996. So it's a long time. We had, a, again, we had a few breaks in between. And because we also co-promoted from 91 to 98, we had to do the right thing for the business. Like if we were short on faces, I'd turn face. Um, so we'd work a storyline where Wayne would, We'd lose the tag title, Wayne would beat me up and I'd become the face. Then we'd work and then at the end we'd do the, the double switcheroo and become the team again. So that sort of stuff. So we always worked for the business, but, yeah, we knew each other's moves. We knew each other's style. We just we just gelled. And we didn't have to talk a lot. we just get into position and we knew what we were going to do. Speaking of brothers, I had the pleasure of working with your brother, 
for a fair period of time through the 90s, Alan, as uh, Ricky Diamond, when I used to do the commentary for uh, Dominic's shows uh, out there at the, uh, the, the restaurant, the, the Chinese restaurant. The Dragonfly. The Dragonfly, that's it. Just the oh, name just come to me. Plus also a whole lot of other shows with him. Uh, yourself and Alan, did you ever get the chance to wrestle together? Yes. Um, I, my final match in 2000, like actually come out of retirement, we wrestled in Melbourne and um, we did the old tables, chairs, garbage bin, chain, <laughs> all the bullshit and um, both bled for like buckets and it was, yeah, just sensational. And we did, we did wrestle up here a couple of times and we did some tag matches together as well in Sydney. In 1994, we won the tag team titles um, at one stage against the Beach Boys and, yeah, it was just, yeah. The thrill, and, and Alan, I'm so proud of him and his career. He's, he's done an amazing yeah. job. So, and he did the same. He was teaching a lot of guys down in Melbourne as well. Yeah, no, Alan was a fantastic wrestler. That character, Ricky Diamond, really took off. There was yeah. no doubt about that down here in Melbourne. And, and interesting he outside. He was so quiet and so yeah. shy, and yet once you get in the ring, bang, it just changed. Different persona. He he was quiet and shy, like his mate Chucky. Who came up and worked for you up in Sydney for a while? Yeah, I mean, I, I found Chucky great, but when I first booked him, I had a call from one of the promoters in Melbourne saying, "Don't use him." Um, that he was trouble, um, and I sort of I rang Alan up and I said, to "Alan, look," I told him what I had the phone call about, and he said, "Look, just use him and trust me." Because Alan, when I did the State of Origin series up here. I let Alan book five guys from Melbourne. Uh, so I always trusted, obviously I trusted him. And so, yeah, Chucky came up and I actually sat down with Chucky and I said, look, here's my rules. This is the way I do the show. And I told him what I'd heard about him. And he was appreciative that I was honest with him and sat down with him. And yeah, we had a great relationship, and, and I'm still I still speak to Chucky on again via Facebook these days yeah. as well. Transitioning from a wrestler to a promoter was that a, a tough thing for you? No, it was. I, I sort of wanted to, to do it earlier, but I I just wanted to get more experience, and again, sort of seeing how like Rackman and Roy and Larry and Ron, I I sort of sit there and sort of study them as well, not just from the wrestling side of it, from the business side of them, on how they'd react to, to changes and a quick thinking if something went wrong, what they'd have to do to change. So it was always in the back of my head that I was going to promote, but I just wanted to make sure I got it right. And so I was sort of watching all these people, and these, these are the top pros, of course, at the time. So I just wanted to learn from the best. And, yeah, so when the time was right, I knew when to come in. We spoke about the fact that when you were wrestling in World Championship Wrestling, like they were the golden years of Australian wrestling. Unfortunately, through the, the 90s and the early 2000s, if those early 60s and 70s were the, the golden years in the 90s and 2000s were pretty much polar opposite, especially down here in Melbourne. There'd be shows which would only have four or five people turn up to it. There'd be country tours where shows didn't even have people turn up. At times, it was it was a really tough time for wrestling to get through. Sydney again, we're lucky. Up until like, we I promoted till the end of 
1998. And because um, we had guaranteed money from the clubs, you sort of, we weren't getting as many shows, but we still had, we had two shows a month at Ingleburn. We had another club lined up. We had country shows. The biggest money we made was shopping centres. Yeah. Um, that was great business for us up here. And so we sort of, we'd have so on the average four, four shows a month still, right through the 90s or sometimes five shows, depending on, on what was happening. So Sydney wasn't too bad. Again, because of that guaranteed money, it was great. But after, I think it was 2000, that changed. And again, I was out of it by then. So um, it would have been so hard for the guys. And I feel sorry for the guys. So I don't know how they make any money. I went to a show in Sydney last, last Saturday and I actually joined the commentary team for the night. Just to, again, one-off type of thing. Yeah, beautiful. And um, they had nine matches, 21 wrestlers, two referees, two announcers, and one ring announcer. I mean, that's a lot of wages. A lot pay. of people to pay. Was that, yeah, um, that, was, that was Future, future was it? Sorry? That was Future yeah. Um, yeah. Fivey's promotion? Yeah. Um, and they had David Storm on the show, didn't they? Yes, he was he was great. He was probably the out of all the guys on the show, he's the one who worked the crowd the most. He had ring psychology, which again is lacking, I find, in today's business. He was he was the one who stood out to me. There's another guy too, Reese Angel, I think. Yeah. He's he's he, he's young and he's got a lot of a lot of talent. Yeah, he was he was great too. He had Again, they work the crowd, and a lot of them don't seem to work the crowd. No one's got – that's one thing they're not taught, I don't think, today is ring psychology. You can go in there and you can kill five minutes just with the crowd without locking up if you've got the knowledge to do that, you know. So – and you can just – I don't know. It's, that's, that's missing from today's – for me. That's what I find quite disappointing. Everything's planned – Spot, 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 spot. There's no selling. There's no storyline. There's no hardly anything. So, hmm. yeah, I just find sometimes it's some of it's a bit hard to watch. Yes, we agree. With we you. we love Davis Storm. We're, we're unashamedly Davis Storm fans um, yeah, on this are. podcast. Oh, it's good. <laughs> Very much so. Ken, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for going through. What is a really interesting book, guys? If you got the opportunity to grab it, please do. We will it. link Dazzle. it. Hey? We will link it on our social. Yeah, media we will. Exactly. I can't recommend it highly enough. Thank you. It just it just gives an unbiased and a really good look at the early days of wrestling here in Australia and uh, how things were set up. It's the Dazzler Dunlop inside my squared circle. Ken Dunlop, thanks for your time, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again down the track. Yeah, great pleasure. Thank you very much. Good Ken night. Dunlop joining us here on the Turnbuckle. Turn it up. Interesting. Turn it up. Turn it up. Banging it, banging it, banging it, banging it. Banging it, banging it, banging it, banging it.
All right, part two of the program. Before we introduce our special guest today, that was a really good chat with Ken Dunlop there, Walsh. I love, you know me, I love talking about the old days. It just Because you're old. But because I'm old, exactly. But it just brought back so many memories, so many names. It's just good to hear it. And it's a really good book. Um, uh, it's very rare that we get um, a book about Australian wrestling um, from someone who lived it. So um, I'd recommend any Australian wrestling fan to go out and buy it. It's a really good read. It's um, it, it, I really enjoyed the book. Like I can't speak highly enough of it. Yeah. So, and the, and the reason we don't get those books is because one, they don't either speak English, or two, they can't remember. Yeah, there's a lot of can't yeah. remembering or not wanting to remember. Yeah. I think um, I think British wrestling is going to have that problem. No one wants to remember what happened. Uh, well, Sean, I'm going to give you the pleasure of introducing our guest because I know he's a mate of yours and you've asked him to come on. Unfortunately, Lyle, as we said earlier in the program, can't be with us tonight. He's uh, looking after some some issues and we applaud him for that. Who have we got? Well, speaking of people who've written books, um, the author of The ScoMo Diaries and um, star of Mad as Hell and I guess he's been on WrestleBrainia a few times as well. Tosh Greenslade. Hello. I, I'm quite offended that I've been called your mate. Yeah, I'd be offended. I'd be upset about that. <laughs> well, I apologise. I, I take that back. Thank I, you. I just assumed. You should never assume. Tony, you should know that I'm only surrounded by loose acquaintances at best. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know, well, like, he, yeah. Well, she knows my name. Yeah. Um, We've met. I don't know his. Oh, first name? Yeah, Welchick. Yeah, no, his first name's Brent. No, it's not. No, no. I, I'm no, like, it's Welchie. I'm he's like Madonna. Welchie I used to go by one name. No, he's, no, he's, he's oh, yeah, it's like Madonna. Madonna. It's like Madonna. Ah. Yeah. I never, I've never thought of you that way. Well. Have you ever thought about going back and redoing your Sky My Diaries, Tosh, with... Uh, and making, it sell, and making it sell well, or? <laughs> Just giving him at least seven jobs. If I could have got seven times the sales for, for all of the jobs that he secretly had, I would have been very happy. I would have been able to buy a house. Yeah. Well, well probably true. not. Not in this climate. Not after what he did to the economy. Well, actually, oh, it's able, political. Actually, they would have been able to buy the house. They might have been able to keep it. Watching mine lose value by the day, so. You're talking about my book? <laughs> that's because I no, signed it. That's your book, I, that's your book makes a very good doorstop, Tosh. Yeah, they, I reckon they're, they're rapidly approaching a dollar. <laughs> Bargain bin. Question is, where is going up or down? Where, where did it start? <laughs> it depends. Um, thanks Speak. for joining us to yeah. talk some wrestling and have some fun. Massive yeah. revelation in Australian wrestling this week, gentlemen. We're just going to throw it straight out there mm. off the top. I was shocked Craig Cole's real name isn't Craig Cole. Well, I was amazed talk. by this. Well, this was, I was shocked. I was shocked as well. I thought his name was Craig Cole. I thought that, he, well, he always says he's an honest sort of a bloke. What's well, his I real thought, name? I Craig? thought Craig Cole was, was, in, um, was in quotation marks and I thought his mother had called him Pitbull. I thought that, and, and he was like, Pitbull, the Craig Cole Pitbull. I thought that was what his, what, oh, okay. I thought Craig Cole was his wrestling name. Well, it turns out it was his wrestling name, and his real name was apparently Graham Flem. Which you would change. Yeah, probably would, <laughs> to be honest. Um, 
So this came out on a on a on a, on a website. Somebody somebody reported this on a website, was it, or on a Facebook page from a from a now defunct wrestling organization? Underworld Wrestling. Underworld Wrestling um, apparently got some reports about their former champions' behaviour at children's hospitals mm, mm. and felt the need to to comment um, about and the, yeah, they're the ones who revealed that his real name. Is not what it seems. Like him, and apparently he's ultimate warrior in it and changed it legally <laughs> to Craig Cole. Allegedly, yeah, according to this post, which I don't know, you, you, people can make their own minds up about. I, I personally choose to believe it because, you know, the 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 kind of person that uh, that would protest outside of a children's hospital and prevent people. And as somebody who took my uh, my twenty one year old months uh 21 month old son uh to that very emergency room the night before they did that oh so you could I, I would say he, he had a he's fine he, he you were close he to encountering good. some flat yeah he came good in the um in the in the emergency room and ran around and embarrassed his mother but um, <laughs> by by just being like i'm not i'm not sick at all i'm fine um and offering we'll sultanas to all the really sick children yeah. Uh, can I just say that if if there was a blockade of people, well, I, I don't know, people is probably a stretch. If there was a blockade of of uh, legs and arms, yeah, breathing plants, yeah, um, stopping me from getting in, you're driving. They right wouldn't have stopped. They wouldn't have stopped me getting yeah. in. I would have got there in exactly the same amount of time. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I don't know. Speed humps do slow you down a little bit. Not at all. Not if you hit them fast enough. Bollards. <laughs> Yeah, still, they're like that's the thing. That's why they don't make bollards out of meat. Well, I've got yeah. some news for you, Tony. Yeah, the the person who actually revealed um, Graham Flem's real name, Craig Cole's real name, um, he's going to be coming on to discuss it next week. So cool. we will have a follow up on this breaking story. So, is there a conspiracy theory around the name Craig Cole? I think I don't that's know why he chose that. Well, you oh, do have no. to wonder, don't you? You're like, what do you? What else are you trying to hide? If you if you're hiding your real name from people, what yeah, else are you hiding. hiding? He didn't hide the fact that he wanted to go into Parliament and mow everyone down with a machine gun. But, but again, are you, are you even unvaccinated? Uh, are you possibly secretly vaccinated? Who's to say? Like, if you if you're going to lie about something as simple as your name, what else are you lying about? Could what what if, what would he have done if he got into Parliament? That's well, the other question. It. Could you imagine if he got into Parliament and it was revealed that that wasn't his name? Mm. Would he have had to step down? Well, can you imagine if he got into parliament and all of a sudden turned his back on all of his uh, all of his followers and his supporters, and started voting with the uh, with the government and, yeah. and with the green mandates? Yeah, you just don't know with these sort of people. Because I'm tipping people aren't voting for Flem. They're I voting for Cole. That's fine, but they wouldn't vote for Flem. Oh, uh, that, the Liberals yeah, have been all, voting for Cole for years. If if Welch is right and he and he did side with the Greens, what's green? Flem. There, well, there you go. Well, coal's not green. No, it's black. No, no it's black. <laughs> yes. Anyway, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Oh, I look forward to that. I was interested in reading the next item on the rundown. I, I went Robbie Eagles court, and then I saw Mexico, and I thought the middle words might have been caught in crossfire, because <laughs> that's what would normally happen in Mexico. No, that's not racist over Tony. Sorry? That's not racist at all. That happens in the USA. No, no, it well. happens in Mexico. It does. It happens in Los Angeles and New York. And I'm sure it does, but Columbine it definitely happens in Mexico. Well. 
Yeah, it's a shame that um, it's a shame that pedophiles aren't caught in Mexico. No, there are <laughs> be a few people that wouldn't be wrestling yeah. anymore. <laughs> um, you know, Robbie Eagles unfortunately caught COVID and had to spend an extended period in a Mexican hotel room in Cancun. Um, no, look, I've, I've seen the accommodation. It wasn't quite first class. It happens. They've got Netflix there, haven't they? Yeah. You, you, you had Netflix, so. A bottle of tequila somewhere. What else do you need? <laughs> oh, well, and, that, and that is a good point. What is your survival kit in Mexico? What, what do you need to survive in Mexico? El Panadol. <laughs> for the morning after, for sure. But definitely a bottle of tequila gets you through the night. Yeah. You don't, need, you don't need a first-class hotel. Honestly, sure. I'd probably just get cocaine. Well, see, that's the problem with being, yeah, being, having COVID, your nose blocks up. Yeah. And then you're and stuck injecting it. it. And then what are you going to do? <laughs> like that's, you've, you've gone too far at that point. It's a slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we wish Robbie he's, all the best. Is he he's over better now and he's back wrestling. So um, good news for Robbie in yeah. the end. Great news. Uh, great news also for uh, Johnny Gagara. Yeah, Gagano. That's him. Well, it's great news for me, Tony. Last week we discussed who was going to be making a comeback. And yep. I said I wanted to see Johnny Gargano, and he's back. Yep. You said you wanted to see Tucker Knight for some unknown reason. Yep, and he's, and definitely, he's, he's definitely back. No, he's, he's not back. Who's no, the he other is. one you wanted to see? Nia Jax. Oh, my God. She will be coming back. <clears throat> Speaking of speaking of protesting at the front of a hospital, <laughs> uh, it's great. To, it's great for Grayson Waller though that Johnny's back, because obviously yeah, they will get to resume some uh, sort of feud that they started before nah, Johnny went on parental the, leave. They're not on the same show, Tony. Well, they will be. Yeah, the Grayson's as... going to go up to Raw, or Johnny's going to come down to NXT for a visit. As soon as the Raw crowd reacts to Johnny after the first week, they'll be back together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the question is, where, yeah, where do you where do you want these? It used to be you wanted them in NXT because they were safe from from Vince McMahon. But now now Vince isn't there. Where do you, you want, want them now? Safe from Sean. You want them safe from Sean. Yeah, now you're happy to have them back up on the on the main roster. It's a crazy world. What well, a difference we're... a lawsuit makes. <laughs> I think we were all a little bit surprised, weren't we, when uh, Johnny? I think our, our lawsuit. I <laughs> uh, yeah, it just one. I think we were all a little bit surprised when Johnny did leave, weren't we? At the time, he was. Oh, is that missing pretty well with the baby? Yeah, parental leave. He um he wants to be a a present father, Tony. Um, you should ask him what that's like. <laughs> I'm a present father. That's all I ever buy them is presents. <laughs> Doesn't get me anywhere. <laughs> Let's hope they remember that when they're choosing your retirement home. Yeah, ex exactly. Uh, so, Tosh, anyone you'd like to see come back? Obviously, uh, this reign of Triple H and Shawn Michaels is exciting ex-wrestlers. Well, that's the thing. I'm, I'm quite happy for them to turn up in Japan. I'm quite happy for them to to turn up in AEW. I like, it, yeah. It, there's not a lot that excites me about people going back to WWE until the until sort of. Triple H's track record has been proven. Like, give him a few months and and get things really hot and get things really exciting there. Then I'll get excited for people going back. But at the moment, I'm sort of like, okay, 
you're re-signing a bunch of people that you didn't have space for in the first place. Yeah. Who were, who were sort of condemned to the mid card uh, or hanging out in NXT when it was a super indie, which it's not anymore. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not excited yet. I might be at, okay. at some point, but yeah, at the moment I'm still not excited. And also, yeah, what matchups am I going to see if they go back to the place where they've already wrestled everyone? You know, like what what's what's left there? They I'd might like to see them wrestle people. Yeah, well, there's that chance. Um, but at the same like, time, they're still they're still going to work them six days a week on house shows and have them so exhausted and beaten up that they're not going to take any risks unless it's WrestleMania. So there's also that. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah. New Japan Wrestling, introducing intergender wrestling. Mm. Welcome. They've finally caught up. They were 30 years well, behind, were they? New well, Japan. They're ahead of everyone now. Yeah, well, hey. they've gone from no women on the cards to, yeah, let them wrestle the men, whatever. Yeah. In, my, uh, in, my, in my pursuit of doing research on this topic, I actually ran past a wrestling promotion that was called Interspecies Wrestling. I'll watch that. Where's yeah, that? Mexico. <laughs> Turtles versus bears versus oh wow, but it's not actual animal, they, they dress up the wrestlers as animals. That would be preferable, yeah, that yeah. would be less yeah, harrowing <laughs> and, and more available off the dark web. I'm, I'm not sure how well the turtles can you imagine going Tony's search history, Tosh. You what can you imagine Tony's search history? <laughs> I, I, I feel like looking like that up, yeah, interspecies deathmatch. I'm pretty sure will get you put in jail. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it would too. Well, good on New Japan. Welcome. Uh, they've caught up with the times. DMDU. They've caught up with DMDU. Yeah, our DMDU dream. Gentlemen, I think you're both going on the weekend, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Please tell. How do you think it's going to go? What you, what you're looking forward to? Give us the preview. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing Jimmy Lloyd wrestle in person, Tosh. Um, As am I. I think that's going to be a highlight. Hopefully, he can go deep in the tournament. It's a long well, way to he, come. If he goes past his second match, if he so if he gets through the first match and then into the second match, he will become. If he gets to the finals, sorry, uh, he will become the DMDU Australian Deathmatch Champion because Callan has put up his his championship in every match that he's in in this tournament. Is so if you can beat Callan, you become. Callan? See, I don't think it is. I, I, on the surface, I think it looks insane. But if you think about what's going to really push you to win, if you're the champion in a, in a tournament, you look at the champion in the G1 every year, there's no real risk. You, sure, you, you might have another singles match, another championship match at some point down the line against anybody that beats you, whatever. But there's, there's nothing really that pushes you to win, like putting something like that on the line, I think. I'm a loser, so I don't win anything. So I can't relate. <laughs> it's um, that fear of loss, though. I think that's that's what's going to drive him through. And that's what's going to... That's that's why I think, yeah, he's up there with my... So you pick. think he's going to win the tournament again? He's certainly up there for me. Because, I, yeah, I, I, there's a fear of losing. What happens to anybody else if they lose? Nothing, whatever. They they just sort of go back it's into the as it happens when they win, they bleed a lot and get a lot of pain. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> they get, yeah. What happens if they lose? They get to relax. They get you know some what? band-aids. 
do you know what cost Joel the tournament at last year's um, Dream Tournament? Before the final, Joel? well, that didn't help his cause because he's he does lose a lot. But <laughs> before his main event, he was out in the crowd and Tony he taken a lot of glass to the back, and Tony went over to congratulate him on the show Tapped and pat, patted him on the back, gave him a hug. Oh no. Glass actually with his spinal cord. No, except for responsibility for that. Well, what 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 are you you're not there uh this Saturday, Tony. No, no, I'll be uh two hours south of Brisbane. Well, a, could uh, it be that this is Morgan what, Park? Could it be that that is what it'll take for Joel to win? Yeah, Tony it could be, be, I've been there. Uh, having said that though, I think I'm going into an area of Queensland that could be more known for deliverance. <laughs> Then be uh... right at home. <laughs> That's a match you don't want to lose. No, no, um, exactly. I'm just—I'd love to see a deathmatch wrestler who beats them all with technical ability. Well, who sure. could that be? Roll-ups and well, you can outsmart the whippersnipper. And how do you do that? Run really fast so the plug comes out. <laughs> And eventually, the petrol just wears out. No, they've been using electrical. Electrical was off. Definitely got electric. Those extension cords only go so far. Yeah, that's true. So you just run them around the ring until it finally wraps it up and then unplugs, and then you're yeah. good. It's called the road 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 runner method. Although then they've just got a big stick that they can beat you with. Yeah, I didn't think this through. No, they don't lose the weapon. They just lose part of what it does. Mm. Maybe it's got a. A longer stick with a nail in it. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's a no. There's a there's a magnificent weapon, uh, which Joel refuses to use. The firecracker. No, it is. It's called Uncle Stick Nail, and it's my creation. And I will. <laughs> and as somebody who has never been in the ring and never will be in the ring, I think it's pretty unfair of Joel not to use it. And it is a stick, and it has one single. <laughs> Thumbtack glued onto the end. Just a thumbtack. You called it a nail. Yeah, well, it's it's a, a, a thumbtack and nail. They're the same thing. I don't want to kill people, but it's uh. it's a very horrible thing. If you think about like falling into a big pile of thumbtacks, whatever, if they're they're in your back. But think about just having one. It's like stepping on one Lego. If oh, you step yeah. on lots of Lego, it doesn't, doesn't hurt. Not. You step on one. That's I haven't bad. I haven't been backstage at a DMDU event, but do, when they get all those thumbtacks in their back, do they actually go backstage and they lie on their stomach and someone actually picks them out one by one? Is that you how they run get a comb? You run a comb over them. Oh, okay. They all flick out. I don't a know. Magnet, maybe. No, they just pull a them magnet, out. Magnet, you just they just pick them out. They they usually oh. fall out as well through the course of the match. You, you're not going backstage with a hundred in you. You probably get maybe ten. Oh, yeah. I think at this point, Joel's got like twelve underneath his skin permanently. Yeah, I think they just live in him, rent free. <laughs> um, but Ouch. there's a lot of there's a lot of other people. So you're saying Callan's winning this tournament? I'm not saying he definitely is, but I'm saying he's definitely up there for me. Well, we we all don't think Joel's going to win. We can agree I, on that. Look, yeah. yeah, I don't know how far Joel goes. I'd like to see him win. He's my friend, <laughs> but but. Uh, and that, my other, so from the other side of the bracket, my other tip would be Will Walker, purely because he's from Geelong. And as we all know, 
people from Geelong are weasels and you can't trust a weasel and a weasel will always win because they're slippery. Yeah, well, it could be straight off the back of Geelong beating Collingwood in the AFL final on Saturday twilight, and then it'll be DMDU. Oh, so it could be a big no, one. No, other, other way around. No, that's oh, no, that's next week, isn't it? Different weeks, week. Tony. Yeah. Good, you yeah. should know you're working, man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in that's right. I'm, I'm in Brisbane this week, aren't I? Yeah. 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 Um, see, we'll... Um, the advantage that Will Walker has is that a death match is just a normal night out in Geelong. Exactly. On a Tuesday. Yeah. From the you, from the glass by the time you're in you're in primary school. Yeah. Basically, that's a that's a rite of passage. Yeah. Well, it's when you graduate, class. they instead class. of doing a little uh, avenue of honour where they all put their hands up and you run through it at the end of grade six, they just hold out beer bottles and you run through them face first, and they're like, "Welcome to Geelong." Yeah, picking up yeah. a member of the Let's opposite sex. Let's just say gimmick is over in Geelong. Yeah. Picking up a member of the opposite sex isn't the main thing to do at the bullshit. It's receiving a glassing. If you haven't received yeah. a glassing, you haven't had a good night. Yeah. You, it's basically, that, that's how that's the success of the night is survival. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. how you, you know when you go to a club, they stamp, um, they put the stamp on your wrist to say that you're there. Like, they just glass you on your way into the club. Yeah. Now. That's how that's that's the man. <laughs> Just in case you miss out. Next well, just Loomis. A, 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 one thing I, I should say about uh, Damn Do You as well, it's not just the Deathmatch tournament. There's also, they've recently announced uh, Anth Carver is facing Gore for the heavyweight championship as well. How do you think what, that's going to go? What surprised me is I thought it was Anth Carver, the wrestler, but it's actually just some random guy from America who they've accidentally tagged in their post. Oh, <laughs> No, I think they've I think they fixed it. I think they fixed it now. <laughs> that that popped me so hard. Like just some random dad. We've done that before. <laughs> yeah, that's with Gore. Imagine him logging into Twitter and he's got been announced for a match with Gore in Australia <laughs> yeah. at a death match tournament. Well, guess I better pack my bags. Happy See Father's you, honey. Day. Honey, I'll be back next week. <laughs> Probably won't be. <laughs> Oh, we've done that before. We've tagged wrong people in posts, haven't we, Walshie? Well, I haven't. No, I have. <laughs> Just make sure you don't tag the uh, the F-list uh, ABC comedian Tosh Greenslade when you put this uh, this up because people won't nah. I'll I'll tag Daniel Tosh and hope we actually get Thanks. some leverage yes. out of this. Yeah. When I say people won't listen, I mean less people won't listen. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Uh, Dexter Loomis has been kidnapping other wrestlers on live TV. What the hell is happening here? Well, he kidnapped The Miz, Tony. Did he? He's your favourite wrestler, The Miz. No, he's not. Johnny Gargano is. We went through this earlier in the the show. It's a a tie between Johnny Gargano and Will Walker. Why Um, would you kidnap The Miz? Miz? Problem with kidnapping The Miz is then you have to have The Miz. Then the Miz is in your house. <laughs> well, I don't know if Dexter Loomis has a house. <laughs> that thing's thought it through. The Miz in your van. Every time you jump in your van, go out to go to the drive-through at McDonald's, you're like, oh, great. It's Miz is in there again. Nah, surely Dexter Loomis has got one of those things where the, they open up on the outside, like, you know, a bunk, a, a basement. And the oh, doors yeah. open up on the outside of his garden and he just throws him in there and 
Yeah, but then fri- that's where your washing machine is. You want to wash your clothes. You want to yeah. wash the blood out of your clothes. That's good you point. go down there. There's the Miz in your house. Yeah. Oh, God. You can hear him through the floor as well. Just yeah. practicing for the next reality show he's on. He may have taken the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Anyone else would be a better person to take. But what I want to get at is how many crimes are we seeing on WWE TV that seem to go unpunished by the police? Like... I mean, Baron Corbin threw Rey Mysterio off the top of Titan Tower. That's crazy. <laughs> the fact he survived, though, clearly. Well, he was back for the next week, but... That's leading the news the next night in any other state. Anywhere else. Apparently yeah. in Connecticut, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe, like, look, maybe, 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 back, maybe back when Rey was in WCW, but, like, late, late 2010s. Ray Mysterio going off the side. You're not that worried, are you? What is it? What was it? 2020? Chucked him off. He's my favorite wrestler. So, yes, I was worried. Still, come on. Yes. I'm just waiting for Dominic to take over. (laughs) Take the mask. Yeah, Dominic will take the mask and then it'll be. And run around on his knees. So, then what? Dominic's going to be your favorite wrestler? Possibly. Oh, dear. Fucking hell. Where's the Guerrero? it's just goes family. To, it, it goes to talk about more about the uh, the quality of wrestlers up there at the moment than anything else. I think. Wow, big words! I oh, know, throwing shade. This yeah. is a, that's another um, podcast. That's a headline. Because like Triple H fucked a corpse as well. I what? mean, he also he also uh, uh, speaking outed his wife. Um, <laughs> that on their wedding night, well, wedding night, along with all of DX. That's the thing people don't remember. You watch that, and they and Triple H comes out and says, "We all had our way with Stephanie while she was unconscious, <laughs> and now I'm married to her." And Vince is like, "Cool, <laughs> that's he's like right Vince right right with the family." So that's yeah, and and they're still together to this day. Yeah, right. And yeah, some people say there's no such thing as romance. No, love is thicker than a lot of things. I think the the real yeah, if we, if we want to talk doing crimes both in and out of kayfabe, you can't really go past New Jack. <laughs> you, you watch matches with New Jack, and you're like, "There's a crime going on there," and it's not storyline. He's tried to murder at least three people in a match. Oh, at the very that we least, know of at the bare minimum. He threw mm. that bloke off the top of the ladder trying to throw him onto the turnbuckle. Yeah. And, he, and when he stabbed a man, <laughs> he pulled a knife out of his pocket and literally stabbed him a number of times. Well, people no. cheered. Yeah, I think um, it's good. Is that, you've turned this very dark very quickly, Tosh. Oh, I think I've made it better. <laughs> I've gone from Triple, J, Triple H to, to New Jack. I prefer New Jack to the to some of those Attitude Era storylines. In in no other podcast in the world would you have Triple H and New Jack in the same sentence. Well, you should. Yeah, it should happen more often. It should be on, I don't know, I reckon they'd do a good series of serial about <laughs> New Jack. The crimes of New Jack. He died, didn't he? He is dead now. Yeah. yeah. So you're not going to get comment from him. And you know, no. as you know, whenever anyone dies, they automatically become a good bloke. Yeah, but also there's being dead is questionable 
when you've got enough cocaine in your body to keep your corpse moving for the next 10 years. He's still up and walking around. He's just technically dead. Right, I think he's had matches. Yeah. <laughs> and no one Kenny knew. Omega wrestled him. And no one knew. And I think Omega put him over. Yeah. The blow-up doll, the little girl, and the corpse of New Jack. The three best matches of Kenny Omega's career. Well, see, here's the thing. Omega was meant to win that match, but um, New Jack's corpse don't job. You just can't beat New Jack. That's the thing. Even if he's dead. Yeah. That much cocaine. Ten years, you say. Yeah. Well, we'll see. He's still <laughs> going. He's still going. Yeah, like, let's face it. The corpse of New Jack's moving better than Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, no, that's the truth. That'll, that, uh, apparently, they're going to wrestle in uh, Ric Flair's last, last, last match. <laughs> That's in a few years. His next last match. Yeah. Well, see, Jeff Garrett got the arse, so he'll be having these last matches now, I reckon. Well, there's, there's always money in gold, if not. Conrad loves money. Yeah. Maybe they could just have a, uh, a night of last matches. <laughs> All against New Jack. If you had a night of last slate. matches, who'd, if you had a night of last matches, who would main event? New Jack. But they'd all be the last match. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Dreadful Sorry. pun. Uh, and finally on the rundown, New Japan Wrestling are introducing into gender wrestling. Are they? Really? I heard that. News yeah. to me, Tony. <laughs> Upcoming shows on Friday, the 18th of August. BCW in Melbourne have wrestling legend Taka Michinoku. Mika Honku. Taka Michinoku. Oh, that's him. Choppy, choppy, pee pee, Tony. He's in town. And wrestling with BCW in Melbourne. Taka Michinoku. 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 There you go. So, Tosh, Tony used to commentate wrestling. Mm-hmm. What do you reckon he would have called the Michinoku driver when someone did it? Just like, well, I think the real, the real question is how, how can we get Tony and JR together to, to call an entire card of Japanese matches? That's the real lot, question. Let's do There'll it. There'll be a lot of. There'll be a lot of water maneuvers and yep. inappropriate comments. Yep. And a lot of mangled names. Yeah. Let's do it. If we can get I'd that pay up. so much. I'd pay so heard, much to watch I, I, that. This is the truth. I've heard Tony mispronounce his own name. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> On air, too. On what, did you, what did you say? I was reading the news and I started off by saying, G'day, it's uh, five o'clock. I'm Tony Shemenke. I wasn't even close to my name. I don't even know why I said it. At least you got Tony, right? Yeah. I wish I had. We all know your your real name is Graham Flem. (laughs) I haven't been called that for 15 years and I don't want to be ever again. Uh, DMDU Dream is on at 3 p.m. at the Arrow in Swanston. That's this Saturday. Is it 2 or 3 p.m.? shows in Melbourne on Saturday. Is it 2 p.m. or 3 p.m.? I don't know. Oh, fuck. I don't know either. Now I have to check my ticket. Hang on. Oh, no. The show starts at 3. Doors are at 2. Okay. Okay. So I'll Uh, get there at 3. PCW Energy takes place in Ferntree Gully. Lucha Fantastica is on in Preston. Why didn't you give PCW that kind of energy? PCW Energy. Takes place in Ferntree Gully. Did I emphasize and, the right word? And um, 
I think the words fern tree gully sort of pull a lot of energy out of the words. Yeah. Whatever comes oh. before it just sort of oh. sucks it out of the room. Like Tommy like Hellfire. A... Tommy Hellfire versus Ryan Rapid. Wow. Oh, Thank that'll you. be good. Uh, Lucha Fantastica is on in Preston. And Russell Rampage present Conquest at Cosgrove Hall in Adelaide. I'm sure there's other shows, but I couldn't be bothered looking. And no So we apologise. It's Lyle's Look job. your local guides and see what you can find. Tosh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Can Has we do it? this again? Sure. Like every week for the next three years? Well, I've got no job uh, in about oh, four well, weeks. Is, so it would be good to push on the resume. Yeah. If I would never want to work again. <laughs> <laughs> but think of the funny of have never working again. I'd love it. I yeah. just don't know if my partner or my child. Never would. working again no. appeals to me. Not getting paid ever again does not appeal to me. Well, I could yeah. set. I could always set my laptop up in a Starbucks, yeah. and then oh, I could get one of the old cups and use it to beg change. You could be one of those guys who pretends to go into work every day in a suit, yeah. and then sits at Starbucks and sticks a microphone in and I, starts doing wrestling podcasts. I, I've seen a lot of serial killer documentaries and stuff <laughs> like that. And finished. Like that yeah. as well. Wetting the uh, bed, torturing animals, and an interest in wrestling. I think those are the three hallmarks of a serial killer when they're kids. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Guys, catch you soon. Enjoy DMDU on Saturday afternoon. We'll catch you again right here on the Turbuckle.